Yes, we are going there. We are going to talk about censorship on social media in today's episode with my guest, Brad Luttrell is a cool dude. He's a smart dude. He's a nice dude. He's an avid outdoorsman. He is a co-founder of Go Wild, and he has a lot to say and some really interesting things to educate us on when it comes to censorship on social media and what we can do about it. Here we go. Welcome to the Social Sunshine Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Crossan, and I'm here to help you build a brand, make an impact, and have some fun on social media. I'm the owner of Fun Love Media, a social media management and content creation agency in Houston, Texas. I'm a wife, a mom of two, and when I'm not working or with my family, you can find me on my Peloton bike or tread, dancing on social media, or cuddle up with wine watching reality television. Please know that the show could include some grown-up language here or there. <laughs> Let's get started. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Social Sunshine Podcast, episode 118. I am your hostess, Brittany Crossan. Thank you so much for being here. It is, uh, let's see, the day this releases is Monday, January 24th, 2022. We are inching closer and closer to the end of January. What the what the what? Um, It's kind of crazy times right now, right? It's still crazy, but it's okay. We're here. I'm glad we're here. I'm grateful that we're here together. Thank you. Thank you. Um, today's show is really good. It's really different from any other episode ever. All right. Brad Luttrell is, is as I said, smart guy, cool guy, nice guy, family man, avid outdoorsman, good person. Um, and he is also um, really trying to speak up and educate people on censorship on social media. And um, it's an interesting topic because, as you probably know, my entire career revolves around social media. <laughs> this show revolves around social media. Um, my business, Fun Love Media, our, our bread and butter is social media management and content creation for social media. And as you know, I have a big presence on social media. So um, for me to have Brad on the show to talk about this um, was a big moment for me because um, we really don't talk social media controversy much. And because, you know, my career in social media feeds my family, quite literally, um, I am... I genuinely, generally, excuse me, focus on, you know, the positive of it and um, on just helping people, you know, spread the word about their businesses and their brands and all the things that I do, right? I don't talk about this side of things, but um, I met Brad on LinkedIn and I just was really, really fascinated by, um, as you'll hear in the interview, I told him, I was like, this dude's got balls um, because <laughs> he, um, he really... Um, he really just stands up for what he believes in and he's here to educate people on the issue and to spread the word and, and all that jazz. So it's, it's really admirable what he's doing and it's really cool. And I think it's great to spread education and information, even if it's, um, maybe a little controversial or, or not quite always the popular opinion. I think as long as we're being respectful people and considerate, kind human beings in general, um, there's nothing wrong with doing that. So anyway, um, and it's funny because uh, yes, we're going to talk about all the censorship on social media, but but Brad is an outdoorsman. Like I said, he's a hunter. Um, I don't 
know if he fishes much. We didn't talk about that. But and you may know that I am married to an avid outdoorsman. I um gotta plug in my stuff here. It's gonna die while I'm talking to you. I mean, the battery goes low like just the worst times, right? All right, let's get this. There we go. Oh, thank goodness we have power. Thank God for electricity. Can I just say that really quick? Can I just say that? Should we, every once in a while, you should just say some shit that's like super, like that you just take for granted all the time. It's like super normal, like electricity. So like, I'm so thankful for electricity. And like this morning and many mornings, I'll say, I'm so thankful for this hot water that's running on me. Like when I'm in the shower, it, it's really quite magical that that even exists. But I, I digress. Back to the outdoorsmen. Okay. So, so other than Ryan, I've only had two hunters on this show because obviously the show is about social media and about online marketing. So like, what are the odds that the people I talk to are all going to be hunters? I mean, the, you know, the odds are pretty low. Um, but in this case, my guest is, of course, and so is my husband. And I thought that just for fun, since the topic Brad and I are talking about is a little bit more, you know, a little bit more serious, not so loose, that I would tell you a funny story that has to do with outdoorsy things. Look, if you get offended by fishing or people people fishing and like killing fish by fishing and then like eating them and stuff, you, maybe you don't want to listen to this story. It's not a gross story. I'm just saying. I'm just letting you know, just in case there's a vegan out there that doesn't want people to fish. But this is a funny story. Okay. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, <laughs> this was before we had children, Ryan and I. Um, we lived in, it was, we were lived in our first house that we ever bought um, in League City, Texas. And we were like, that's outside of Houston, near the coast, near the water. It's close to Kima, Texas, um, if you're familiar. Anyway, and so you're close to the coast and the water. He had a he had a fishing boat, like a little fishing boat, you know, I don't know, like an average size personal fishing boat, whatever. And um, I grew up, you know, going on boats a lot, but we were going water skiing most of the time. My dad taught all of us how to water ski. But, you know, with Ryan, it was all about fishing. He's a hunter and he's a fisherman and he loves all of that stuff. I don't care. Like, I don't. Like, no. I, no. I, I don't want to go hunting. First of all, I don't want, I really don't want to be the person to kill the animal. Like, I respect that other people do, but I just don't know if I can handle that because I am such a wimp and I have such an uneasy stomach and I can, you know, it's just a whole thing. And also, like, I just want to go to the fancy hotel. Like, I don't want to go sit in the woods or out on the water and have to be quiet, you know. So <laughs> we're very opposite. So anyway, so we go fishing. All right. And of course I had been fishing. Well, I say of course, I guess maybe not everybody has, but this was, I was 20 something. I don't know. I was in my late twenties and I had been fishing in different instances, mostly just like at my grandparents' house where we would go to the tank. You wouldn't call it a pond. In this part of Texas, you would call it a tank. It's a pond, but I'm just saying we would call it a tank. It's That's a total thing. If you know what I'm talking about by calling a pond a tank, then DM me um, on Instagram and say hello because you're my people. Um, so we would like fish with a cane pole. And if you don't know what a cane pole is, it's a, it's a fishing pole made of sugar cane, like a, anyway. So we would, we would do that kind of fishing. And I would sometimes fish with like a, a, a reel, a rod and reel where you like 
um i know you can't see me right now probably but like where you crank it up you know like that kind of thing um i had done some stuff but like little stuff so i'm in my late 20s we're gonna go fishing and um gosh i don't know i wish i wish i had ryan here to ask him i don't know what kind of fish we were fishing for redfish i don't know what do you fish for in galveston bay outside of houston i have no idea but we go out in the boat and he has this spot, right? There's always like a fishing spot and we get to the spot and I'm like going to be a good sport. I'm finally, after we've been married for several years and I'm in my late twenties and I'm finally just going to like full on participate in the fish fishing situation. I'm going to like actually fish. I'm going to try to be involved and be a good sport about this. I'm not going to like do anything gross, like touch a worm, but I don't think we had any worms. I think it's okay. Okay. So, so we start to fish and basically fast forward. Well, let me give you the setting. This matters. We're in this little, it's not a bay, but it's connected to Galveston Bay. So if you happen to know anything about Galveston Bay, I think it's like Eagle Point or something. But anyway, so it's this little area of water, um, kind of like a cove. It's kind of protected a little with a little bit of land around it. And it's apparently a good fishing spot. I don't fucking know. Whatever. And the water was pretty flat that day. I do remember that. So it wasn't rough, which I think is good. I'm pretty sure for most fishing. I don't know. <laughs> and, and we get to the spot and he throws out the anchor so we can like stay in the one spot. And there's just a couple of other fishing boats around kind of spread out in this area. So we get to start and it's, and it's like really quiet. It's really quiet, by the way. Super quiet. Like this is not Party Cove where all of the big fancy yachts get together on the water and jam, you know, gangster rap and get drunk and float around in tubes. This is quiet fishing. You better not make too much noise, get to business and do your thing. So we start fishing. And of course, Ryan helps me. I mean, come on. I was not, I'm not like a t an independent fisher woman. Like I didn't do it myself. He set the stuff up. I don't know. This has been a long time ago. And so I, I start, I do know how to cast it. Totally fine. So I start doing that. And all of a sudden I end up catching, or like if there's a fish on the hook, you know, and I'm like, oh shit, babe. Oh shit. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. And, and, and then, so I'm start reeling it in. He's like, okay, okay, you got this. And he's like coaching me. And I'm the, it finally like hits me like, wait a minute. I didn't plan on actually catching one. Like I was trying to be a nice, you know, wife, supportive gal here and participate, but I, I never anticipated that I would actually catch one. So what the fuck am I supposed to do when I catch it? I'm just, thank God Ryan's here. Cause I'm just gonna be like, you take it. So I'm like reeling this fish in, reeling this fish in. And I'm kind of like, like, oh, I'm making a little bit of noise, but it's not too bad. I'm not disturbing the piece too bad. And we get the fish in into the boat. Now it's not like offshore fishing. It's not like this huge fish that we have to, you know, hold with two people. No, you know, regular size, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you can hold with two hands, right? So we get the fish and I agree to take a picture with the fish. But what this means is that I have to touch the fish. Look, let me just be real. I, I don't want to touch the fish. I don't want to touch him. And you know what? For years, I thought I wanted to touch a dolphin. But now that I start thinking about it, I'm not so sure I want to touch a fucking dolphin either. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> they seem soft. But this fish had scales. Have you ever touched a fish in this situation? The scales, like, come off onto your fingers. Like, ugh, what the fuck? And it's, like, sticking to everything. And then, so I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Because it's alive. The fish is alive. And, I mean, of course, my little heart, I'm thinking, oh, I'll just put it back in the water and it'll be fine. Um, I don't think Ryan put it back in the water. I think he ate it. But anyway. So like the scales are kind of coming off. I'm having to hold it. I'm so scared it's just going to flop all over the place and I'm going to screw everything up. And I'm holding this fish and he goes to take pictures and it does start to flop. And then all of a sudden there is like blood going down my cleavage of my swimsuit because I had like a swimsuit top with some shorts I think on. And and something happens with this fish where I don't know the terminology. I'm sorry. I'm not – I don't know these things. But, like, I don't know if it was, like, some sort of guts or something coming up out of its mouth. And it – it all of a sudden, it goes all over my chest, all down my cleavage, like, down, down, on top of the fact that I got fucking fish scales on my fingers. And I was like – holy fucking shit, right? And I start screaming, get off, get off, get off. And immediately the peaceful fishing spot turned into like what sounded like a murder situation. I was flipping the fuck out. There was blood going down my cleavage. There was some sort of guts or some sort of weird situation coming out of the fish. The scales were on my fingers. I didn't know what the hell to do. Um, I can't, I don't know if, I guess Ryan, yeah, I guess Ryan just took it. He took it from me. And then I, of course, was like, ah! I'm still screaming, still screaming, by the way. And everybody, by this time, there's more people fishing the area and everybody is staring. And I'm leaning over the side of the boat, like hanging over the side, splashing water. <laughs> up onto my chest to try to get all of this grossness off my chest and my hands. I was frantic. You would have thought, you would have thought that spiders were crawling all over my body. Like it was ridiculous now that I think about it clearly. Like when we look back at ourselves in these situations, it was so fucking dumb. But that's how I reacted to the fish blood and guts going down my cleavage, okay? I'm sorry. It was an unexpected situation. I was definitely not expecting I wasn't even expecting to catch a fucking fish, much less have to hold the motherfucker for a picture and then have its blood and guts get on my chest. Just wasn't in the plan that day. But you know what? We don't always know what's in the plan, do we? And now, whenever Ryan and I tell that story, just like I did just now, look back at it. And we laugh and it's okay. And he did cook and eat the fish and he used them responsibly. And it was, it was a fairly happy ending, except for, I guess, if, you know, for the fish maybe. But anyway, that story has absolutely nothing to do with the topic of the show, <laughs> with anything that we talk about on this show. But I thought, what a fun, appropriate time to tell a story about going fishing because in my interview with Brad coming up, he does talk about hunters. He does talk about fishermen. He does talk about the things that um, are sometimes censored in that community um, as in like showing photos of what they caught or what they killed um, and also censorship in other situations. So it's a very interesting topic. And look, I'm not here to, um, I'm not here to, um, uh, 
convince or or do any anything either any any way any which way any sides any sort of divisiveness like that's not my thing you know that I really wanted to bring Brad because I thought it was super fascinating what he talks about on LinkedIn and he's super smart and he's passionate and he cares about his community his fellow outdoors people you know and I think that's really really awesome and it's not easy to come by someone that stands by um, their beliefs and their community like that and um, try to help them and educate them. So anyway, that's what's happening. I hope you enjoyed my fish story. Um, I hope I didn't lose you. Are you still there? Are you still there? Do you forgive me for telling you a fish blood and gut story? Please do. I love you so much. Um, (laughs) Remember, remember to please go follow me on all of the things. My hub is Instagram. It's at Brittany Crossed. I am also on LinkedIn, just like Brad is. I am on all the things. I'm on TikTok, Facebook, I have a personal Facebook, a business Facebook, um, and you can you can subscribe to my email list at brittanycrossin.com slash join email. You're going to get a great free download to help you with your personal brand, and then you'll get an email from me every week saying hello, maybe telling you a fish story. I don't know, but a lot of times I'm just letting you know what's going on with the show and what's going on in my world and how I can help you with your, with your online marketing. So, all right, that's it for my chat with you today. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next. Next is my guest, Brad Luttrell. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Go Wild, a social media platform built by and for hunters, anglers, and outdoorsmen. He's an award-winning writer, marketing strategist, and creative director, although his friends mostly just know him for his smoked venison chili. (laughs) And a couple of fun facts, he grew up in Appalachia, aka coal country, and he can go out into the woods and come back with food, which is a hell of a talent for sure. Welcome to the Social Sunshine Podcast, Brad Luttrell. Thanks for having me, Brittany. I am excited to chat with you today. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. I know you said it's a show show season, or maybe I said that wrong, for you and your industry, right? So you're going to a lot of trade shows and whatnot. Yep. Trade um, show season that started last week. The archery trade show was on Thursday or, well, we had a party kicking it off on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I only went to one day of it, but then I'm in Vegas next week. And then, I mean, there's pretty much a show at any given minute uh, from like January through early March in our industry. So you kind of just got to pick the ones you want to go to. And we're actually going to be exhibiting at our first show, which is not a trade show. It's a consumer show. So we'll have a booth up in Pennsylvania for two weeks at the largest outdoor show in the world. 200,000 people usually come through. They are predicting that since people have been bottled up because they didn't do it last year and people are just kind of itching for something to do, they think it's going to be even bigger than normal. So I'm super pumped about that one. Dang, that's cool. You said that's in Pennsylvania? It's in Pennsylvania. It's in Harrisburg. We'll be there uh, from like February 4th or 5th, whatever that first weekend is of the month. And then we're there for the next uh, like eight days straight. Cool. It's a long show. Okay, cool. Wow. That is a long show. Um, I know a little about a uh, hunting show. I've been to a few in my day. I have, as I've told you before, married to a, um, a an avid outdoorsman. My husband, Ryan, uh, grew up in, you know, in this world that you guys live in. And I am total opposite. I'm like, 
I'm not going to sit in the woods, send me to the fancy <laughs> hotel. Uh, you know, I love uh, to dance to pop music and he once lives in a country. Uh, we're both Texans though. So I got the country in my blood, but you know, it's just, it's so cool. Like I told you before we started recording that um, even so me and Ryan being so different, um, it's, it's, I, it matters what we're about to talk about and it's important. And, um, he even helped to, to educate me on the topic a little bit too. So before we dive into the actual topic, I would love for you to give us a little backstory on go wild. Like this is a huge deal. I mean, as a, as a fellow business owner, I understand like the hard work that goes into things. How did this get started and what, what's the story behind go wild? Yeah. And, and, whenever anybody asks me that and I have time, I like to say that it did start way before actually founding the company. Cause I, as you said, I did grow up in Appalachia. Like you pretty much are outside, like, especially like I grew up in that awkward, um, pre-internet phase, but there was internet, but we didn't have it. Cause we we're in Eastern Kentucky and we're always 20 years behind anyways. So, um, I love Kentucky. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, Eastern Kentucky, especially before the internet too, was just a different place. There's a lot of reason why that language there even is so rich is because there's been no outside influence. And, and, and that's why a lot of that culture is still intact as it was hundreds of years ago. But I digress back to my childhood. The, you know, we grew up outside. I grew up hunting and fishing, um, small game hunting though, and off-roading um, a, lo a lot of, you know, I spent much of my childhood and high school years on a four-wheeler. And I went to college, went to University of Kentucky, and even there found out I sounded funny. I don't sound as funny anymore. A lot of that got bullied out of me, I guess. Um, and, and and my wife would tell you, though, it comes back after maybe a bourbon or two. Or uh, yeah. when I call my mamma, I do what's called a code switch. And it's hardcore, like, <laughs> accents right back. Um, but after college, you know, I was doing the professional thing for a while. And I, I really, as years went on, kept wanting to hunt more. That's what I liked. I had never done the type of hunting though, that I wanted to do, which was whitetail. You know, my dad and I grew up like, as I grew up, my dad would take me squirrel hunting or small game, you know, and mostly doing a lot of like simple fishing. It wasn't anything like what I wanted to do. And so I got into it and realized I really sucked at it. And it's, it's way harder than people think. Um, it's not like fat guy goes out and sits in a tree. And, uh, if, if you're married to a hunter, as you said, you are, you know, cause there's a lot of frustration. You usually come back angry at some mistake you made or something yep. stupid you did, or, or like, why did I spend 12 hours today sitting to see nothing? Um, there's a lot of those moments. Well, I did that for like two years straight <laughs> of sucking. And finally, um, there was this realization Cause I, there's an entrepreneurial track that's going, it's dual tracking with all this experience too. And then I was trying to think of what I wanted to do with my life. I had already been fired before over trying to start a company on the side. My ad agency found out about it and they fired me. And, and so like that kind of formed this fire to like, I am not going to let that be my own experience in trying to found a company. So this whole time I had been trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had the experience of getting bullied on Facebook is essentially what it comes down to for posting a deer. Um, when it, I think that was like 2014 or 15 and was like, Oh, you feel like a man now. And you know, some of that harassment that comes with that. And I thought that was, uh, unfortunate. And I had the thought of like, what a shame that you can't talk about something that you love so much and people like really misunderstand it. And it's, it's complex, but like you can't even, you don't, you don't feel like you can talk about it to people on an, uh, on a Facebook or an Instagram. It's kind of what it had come down to. And simultaneously had the the realization that trying to find a mentor or someone who can coach you online is really really freaking hard and 
there's just this grand aha moment of like, oh, I, I wonder if there's anybody's tried to build this business. And I couldn't find anything that I thought was credible. There were some forums out there and there were some apps that were terrible. Um, and I was in advertising and web design and branding. And I'm like, well, I, I've never built an app, but it can't be that different from a mobile website. Let's go. And so really started working on the whole thing. Got That was uh, fall of, that was August, 2016 when I had the idea. And by Christmas, we had our first meeting with the four co-founders so i found uh three guys stupid enough to go in with me and make no money for the next two years uh, on a side hustle and we started working and we launched a beta version the next september so we built the whole thing in nine months and got it live and it sucked i mean looking back i was like really proud of it but like we launched a social media app where you couldn't even direct message people but it we, you know we did it on our budget and <laughs> like my $500 that i had <laughs> i invested right. 500 bucks into it in the beginning and that's what we built the freaking app with so um and, and today you know we we've changed a lot since those early days to answer your question of uh you know, kind of the the final bow on like how did it get started is like what is it today and it's really a social commerce platform. So you can come into our platform, you can share uncensored, you know, you can share your story without worrying about harassment. You can purchase gear in the platform, which is a really cool addition we made about a year and a half ago. So or 14 months ago, something like that. Um, so you can buy gear on Go Wild and for posting and for purchasing, you get points. And as you get points, you're leveling up and you're unlocking all these awesome rewards. So you can get stickers, you can get free t-shirts, you can get, like right now I have $100 off a Garmin bow site that I unlocked on my Go Out account. So there's there's some really sweet rewards too. You can get free pocket knives at a certain level, um, but all of this kind of compounds. And so for the outdoor enthusiast, you know, you're already buying this stuff anyways. You can't really post about it anywhere else. We not only welcome it and don't censor you, we actually reward you for that as you participate and contribute to the community. Okay, whoa, that is really smart. That is really, really, really smart. I love that. Um, and I love that, I mean, aren't the best ideas the ones that come to us from, I mean, from our own personal moments, right? Like that's, a, you were solving a problem that you truly understood. And that it's something that, I, like I've told you before, so many people don't understand. I didn't even fully understand until I met you on LinkedIn. Um, and by the way, definitely follow Brad on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> like I was like, uh, seriously, reading some of your posts, I was like, this dude has balls. I'm so stoked about this content. Like, <laughs> cause you do. And I love it, but you're, you're being real. You're being honest. So if you don't mind, um, explain, to the listeners, what the heck we're even talking about? This censorship thing um, that's happening. You talk about it being in Silicon Valley. Uh, just give us an idea, just in case, because I know a lot of people really aren't privy to it at all. You know, I'll comment on that, but I want to say something about something you just said first. Um, you talked about, you kind of you know, glossed over it, but it's really important because I'm thinking of your audience. You said you have a lot of people who are get, just getting started. And I'll tell you, I got started on a company one time. I did this twice with the same concept. And I got fired over. This is the, we're going back there. So, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, buckle up for a second. All um, right. But, but actually my co-founder now, Zach was the guy that I was trying to co-found with at that company too. Zach and I worked at an ad agency together and we had this idea on building a restaurant analytic company. And I was in social media, I was planning content calendars. And it occurred to me that a lot of these restaurant owners are making decisions really poorly. They're not looking at the data. They're not listening to what their customers want. It's all in a gut feeling like, hey, skinny margarita uh, or, or like skinny <laughs> things are popular. We should do skinny margaritas and skinny burritos. And then it flops. And they're like, well, I, I don't know. The market must have shifted. And it's like, no, you made 
you, you weren't listening to the customer. You made an observation of something that somebody else was doing, but your data would have told you this wasn't going to work if you'd listened. And so we, we had an idea to take the marketing data to help plan um, menus and creative and uh, even timing of staffing and to take all of your data of, of, from your kitchen and be able to predict the items you should have in store and to have, uh, you know, this would be something we could plug and play in drive throughs that was more seasonal. So if we know from the data that people are more likely to buy this thing when it's raining, we can adjust based on the weather. And it, this is what you do as an entrepreneur, right? There's like all this crazy to the moon stuff you could do. And we didn't do it because nobody cared about restaurants. Like I just didn't come up through that industry. I think restaurants are really interesting. I love to cook. But for whatever reason, Zach and I tried twice to get this company off the ground and our heart was not in it. So I bring this up now because um, I've had the personal experience of I got fired over this idea and I still tried again. And even through getting fired, you would think that would either completely uh, you know, demoralize you or inspire you. And I came out of it really fired up. Like Zach and I did try again, but he was in grad school and I had a kid and I was like, I don't know. I don't feel motivated to really, I didn't, wasn't putting in hours in it. Like I was go when go out hit, it hit me like a ton of bricks and my life changed. Like there was no, I had blinders on to everything. If I had a waking seven minutes, I was working on it. If you don't have that and you're not going to like stay up until I would stay up until one, uh, put my son to bed at eight, stay up until one. I would get up at five. I would work on it for two hours before I went back to work commute. Cause we used to do that back uh, in the days of pre 2020. Um, I would commute down. I would take an hour uh, long lunch that I never took lunch before, but I started taking lunch. And then at five o'clock I was taking a phone call in the car on the way home, same routine over and over again. And if you don't have the passion around what you're founding, to be able to do that, it's not going to work out. You're just, it's going to fail. And I, I can, somebody who had a concept for a company that later somebody else did and McDonald's bought it for $300 million. Like, I'm like, the idea was there. It was good. Uh, <laughs> what we wanted to do was smart, but I wasn't the guy cause I didn't care. And I, who knows if I could have executed that probably like at that point in my life, probably not. I needed the, the five years that came afterwards in advertising to really be able to, I think, learn enough to be able to do what we're doing now. But I just have to put that out there. Cause I think way too many people have ideas. It's like, it's like how many people start a podcast and then they get seven episodes in and oh, they're like, Jesus hey, this Lord, is really don't get me hard. started. I know. But they're like, this is really hard, yes. you know, and, and, and they, they, they realize what it takes and they don't want to do it anymore. If you think that's hard, like a company at scale, when a podcast can become a business, but um, a lot of times that's just a content tactic. You know, we have two podcasts here and they're right. still both a lot of work, right? Like, um, that's like a miniature version of starting a company. So right. I just throw that out there because I think too many people overlook the importance of the passion behind it. I'm so glad that you said that. And I agree with you 100%. And I too have tried things that did not pan out because I didn't care. I didn't really care that much yeah. you know, about the subject matter or the situation or whatever you know it was. So I, I'm so glad you shared that. That's really inspiring. And it's important for people to hear. It's a little, I maybe feel like a little tough love, but it's true. Like you got to think about the actual actions you're going to take, right? Like the process of being in it, not just the shiny, you know, trophy that you might get. There's a whole end. other angle too of like, does anyone else care? And we won't go down that, but like, <laughs> I think the too few people look at the market to see if, any, if there's even a market for what you want to do. You know, just because you want to sell the world's best trombone oil doesn't mean there's a market for it, right? Um, I think I'm ripping that off from Bob Geiger's book, uh, the the Disney CEO, but um, okay. <laughs> I think that's I think he calls that out. All right, I'm going to answer your other question now. <laughs> Censorship. Yes. Um, 
this is like such a hard thing to unbuckle in a, in an hour or less podcast. Um, the, the first thing we'll say is like, what is censorship today? And I really don't, I don't know. Cause I think a lot of the definition around this, we think of from the press standpoint and the word press in itself is an, it's an, uh, outdated because, um, the press comes from the pressing of the ink to the paper, right? This, this was newspaper days uh, yeah. that we're talking about of, of our first amendment rights and the right to distribute information, um, freely. And, and if you read any American history, there all have always been challenges of what you could and couldn't print. I mean, um, one of the books I read last year via audiobook, which still, it was a brutally long book, but was Alexander Hamilton's uh, biography. And, you know, since the founding of our country, there's been censorship. And, and I think we're dealing with it at a scale that's totally different today, because while before the United States may have had a few hundred significant newspapers, uh, even even rewind 30 years ago, you know, in the, in the 90s, newspapers were on top of the world. They had the biggest budgets you could imagine. Journalism was really powerful and the, the power of print. Um, it was undeniable. Now we do have resources that can make anyone, me, you, the people down the hallway or down the street, uh, publishers. And, and so it does uh, that adds an interesting layer to it. The other thing that's interesting is a newspaper owned its own presses. Uh, you know, the the television companies owned all the equipment it took to make the show. Yeah, they paid the rights for the television. And and now today, when people become influential, which is the uh, where influencer comes from, when when they become influential, it is on someone else's presses. You're, it's a contractual agreement that I will abide by your rules to be here. And so there is something out of the gate and I'll, I'll put that up front of scent because people like they get so fired up of like, it's not censorship. It's a private company. And I get it. But here's the problem with that. Let's unpack that, too. Yes. The, the problem with censorship is that we live in a time now where some of these companies are ubiquitous, like they're, they're synonymous with, with how we communicate today. And they're they're almost a public utility. Now, listen, I'm like pretty libertarian or, or at least central uh, in my yeah. most of my beliefs. So it pains me to say that maybe we should look at some of these platforms that have scaled so much to be synonymous with communication. Like, hey, maybe this is a public utility. I, I don't even like that belief that I have myself. Um, <sighs> but I think it's at least worth a discussion because what what's happening if we don't want to have that discussion? Fast forward 10 more years, we're not even going to have the right to because the, the, these platforms do control the narrative. Um, I'm not, some people are like bracing to see if I'm going to go down like this vaccine rabbit hole or some of this stuff, but <sighs> I, I'm not, I'm not bear with me. I'm not, but I will say <laughs> it is interesting. We're living real world case studies to where you can't disagree anymore and, and you can be deleted without, uh, you know, really any amount of fact checking going on. And, and it's, um, if you can't, you know, newspapers are, are gone, you know, they've faded. Uh, they're all competing with the same sleazy tactics as like the, the bloggers. A lot of them are. I mean, I've been really disappointed as a journalism major and someone that uh, a past journalist of, of where it's all ended up. I think there's very few publications anymore that are really doing good journalism. Um, so so to me, okay. we have these platforms like, yeah, I don't own it. It's private. Um, they, they can you can say they can do what they want, but the the Internet has become synonymous with Google. You know, Google controls. 93% of the world's search and they're the largest search engine. And, and the second is YouTube, which is owned by Google. 
Google is larger than all of the other search com competitors combined. Okay. And mm -hmm. so when you look at like how much information they control and, and how in the flick of a wrist with an algorithm, they can point us in one direction or another, it is worth being concerning about. And people that aren't concerned about this really, you know, we talked about this before it's because they haven't had it happen to them. Right. You know, um, there, I can tell you, and I, I actually was just, just out of curiosity before your show, I was looking at my LinkedIn stats to see how my content and you complimented me. Thank you for comp the compliment. I'm not, will you testify? I'm not crazy. Like I'm not some, <laughs> right? No. I'm, right? I'm not some nut job, right? No, he seems like, like a very nice person, everyone. <laughs> you're like, you're like, he seemed really normal before I got him on a mic, but no, like <laughs> no, I, no, I, I love I, it. <laughs> But I, I, yes, I'm spirited. I, I try not to hold back. I get, I don't want to create the same dull content that everybody else does, but like, I'm not crazy. I'm not some like random conspiracy theorists out there spouting stuff. I ran my numbers just as a proof, come, knowing I was coming on here. I wanted to show you what happens. And so when I talk about certain things, anecdotally, I've noticed, I'm just like, I get throttled and I don't know how to explain it other than to say, when I say this word, I get throttled. So I recently started subscribing to a service called Shield that lets me look at my LinkedIn content and see what is getting throttled or, or not, or what's getting more reach. Like this, this allows me to get down to the keyword level. So for example, I find it interesting that when I mention hunting, I actually get 176% more reach, which I, I, I would have thought not, right? Like at first yeah. when I started looking into this, I'm like, I'm going to disprove my theory that this is happening. But the more I thought about it, I was like, well, there's job hunting. There's, there's like apartment hunting. I, and I know this cause I run a lot of Google searches on this kind of stuff. I'm like, maybe that was one that's like too hard to throttle. So I kept going, um, you know, from here it all goes down, but like veteran wild game, uh, censorship. These are all like less, I get less reach, but it wasn't substantial. You know, censorship gets on average. When I mentioned censorship, it gets 82% of my reach. And this is across a year, by the way. So this is not, and you know, I post a lot. This is hundreds of posts that I, I analyze with, with shield. Um, if I mention the military, I'm now down to 72% of my normal reach. If I say the word firearms, it's 55% of my normal reach. Venison goes down to, to 60. If I say the words uncensored, I am down to 49.7% of my normal reach. If I mention um, COVID, it's 40% of my normal reach. And I've seen this on YouTube too with Go Wild. Um, if I mention ammunition, I'm down to 46% of my normal reach. Pandemic, 46% of my normal reach. Those are so consistent that it's like very clear that you're getting throttled to a certain point, right? And so just think about this uh, at scale with something like YouTube. I mean, we're talking about LinkedIn, which I don't think is like on the mass scale of how the world communicates is not a player, right? Like that's not, it's important for business. I think it's a powerful tool, but like, it's not how the world communicates. But when we, yeah. just as an example, cause I had access to this data, um, think about that at scale with YouTube. If, if someone can control me talking about ammunition or saying uncensored or venison and like throttle, uh, think about how quickly this can happen on YouTube. And people might say, well, Brad, that YouTube probably doesn't do that. Okay. They do. Here's, here's my own examples of this. 2017, we launched an ad campaign and we uh, were, were completely throttled because they scanned our website and our app store listing and they found a um, picture of a firearm and a bear that was alive. This is the weirdest part that had its mouth open and they their algorithm, their artificial intelligence kept claiming that our app was 
aggressive or something. And we went back and forth with their ad reps and like, look, you're not breaking the rules, but like the artificial intelligence, find what, what it wants to find because it's analyzing an image and it's applying like a sentiment analysis or something that was found. And this happens, people don't realize this, this happens on every platform that you engage on because it's been made so easy to implement. We do it too. Uh, here's like, we'll use it to identify porn. We don't want porn on our platform. Right. Yeah. So like we, we use it to try to keep that stuff out. We identify spammers. Um, there's, there's like a, a rhythm that we found with spammers. We get them out quickly, but for these other big platforms like a YouTube, they're using it to censor you. TikTok. If I upload a gun, there's a decent chance the artificial intelligence scans it have. I've had content personally deleted. Go out, had content deleted because it had a firearm in it. There, it is in their rules. And I, I promise you, I've probably read more of the rules that are out there than anybody you'll ever have on this podcast, because I've read all of the terms and conditions for pretty much all of the mainstream platforms. TikTok, it, it's in there, or at least it was the last time I read it, which was last summer, I think, that you could not have a firearm in the picture. So they're now telling you that you can't have a gun that you could legally purchase in your photo. YouTube does the same thing. You're not allowed to monetize content that uh, teaches people to safely use guns because God forbid we don't want someone to safely know how to use a firearm. Um, YouTube, I kind of uh, didn't even finish my YouTube examples. Um, just recently, YouTube demonetized the biggest, one of the biggest influencers in hunting because they had educational content on how to process a deer. They showed you how to cut a deer to eat it. And they said that that content is not allowed anymore. And all of this is being doing done. Most of this is being done with artificial intelligence. I can go on all day. I can do this on any platform you want to talk about. They're all doing it. And so, so imagine um, if this got turned against something that you would do. You, you might have the entrepreneurs who are trying to start a CBD business. Guess what? It's going to happen to you all too. I've got friends running CBD businesses. They face all these same challenges. All these like fringe businesses is kind of what we get lumped into. Right. And it's, I, I think it's unfair because these businesses are legal. People, you know, are making observations about what I do from Silicon Valley where they, they, they don't hunt. They don't know anything about the lifestyle. They don't know that, well, hunters and anglers actually pay for all those wild lands you guys think you love. It's, it's not Patagonia. It's not REI. These big brands are fighting the backpack taxes that the hunters and anglers are actually paying for. Right. I don't know if people know that mm -hmm. I pay, I buy a hunting license my dollars go to the state governments that manage these lands. Now it's more complicated than that. We'll get into explaining like there's Pittman Robertson act. There's the Dingle Johnson act. You can get into reading all those and how that, that uh, money makes its way back to your States, but it's all based on how many hunters and anglers you have in your state, how many licenses they're buying. Uh, the, now the licenses sales go directly to state The the Pittman Robertson, for example, like if I buy a gun, 11% of that is tax. Uh, and what I'm going to pay for, it goes to the federal state and then they divvy it up between the states. Uh, if I buy a duck, duck stamp, that's going to go same way, same kind of process. So um, people don't realize the good that we do. They don't realize that we pay for the management of our wild lands and that we, we are the reason that a lot of our uh, wildlife is alive. You know, you look at like the, the restoration of the gator, um, the, the fact that we brought whitetail deer back from the dead and turkeys back from the dead. Yeah, we also killed them out. But let's, you know, <laughs> at some point, we realized that, hey, we shouldn't be market hunting and, uh, you know, shooting buffalo and leaving them on the prairie after just taking their tongues, right? Like that, that became yes. frowned upon. Yes. And so uh, we, learn, you know, we progress. <laughs> right. A lot of people like to be like, well, you guys were the problem. I'm like, yeah, but you, you're really going to blame like the, the entire, uh, the majority of 
the economy was like fur trapping and, and the meat trade at that time. So, right. um, you know, we learned a lot from that and I, you, you, you just can't deny the good impact that this audience also has. So, right. um, I don't know if I answered your original question. I can rant on for <laughs> much longer, but you probably have something that's popped in your head. And, no, and yeah, yeah, that. no, you did. You did. Well, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you said that just almost like kind of on behalf of, uh, the things that my husband Ryan has told me over the years, he had to educate me from the get-go, right? So I'm somebody who did not, I, I think I sat in a deer stand one time when I was six and they told me I had to be quiet and I hated it. So, you know, so I didn't know anything. So he told me things like what you just said that I think is kind of um, just cool for people to hear that um, the hunting community, um, how would you say this, is um, almost self-sufficient in a way of like, feeding, like you said, the, the, the funds and the resources and every, and, and the care back into nature. So that, I mean, that is a whole other topic in itself, but it's true. And if I can throw in like two, two more thoughts, cause this is something people don't think about. And, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a controversial thing in itself. Overpopulation people, people love to move out to the suburbs and they love to get their two acres with their big house. You don't realize that you just took over habitat. It's right. never going to be habitat again. And then, and then my favorite thing that I see on next door is that they complain about deer being in their yard and they complain <laughs> about, I never saw coyotes before. And I'm like, well, yeah, when you keep building 400 apartment complexes in, in green spaces, this is what happens. And, and, and you can't, people love to say like, Hey, let nature be, you can't do that after you put a freaking interstate across their uh, migration corridors, you put all these housing complexes into their habitat. And then you just want to tell them like, Hey, animals go do your thing. Like, that's not how this works. So the, the um, case in point, if you're still not believing me, you, you, some people might still be clinging on to like, no, let nature be. Um, here's what happens in Georgia. The deer population is so overpopulated and if you didn't know, deer kill 200 people a year and do like billions in damage and property. Mm-mm. So, so 200 people die a year uh, in, in, in places like Georgia. And that's a national stat, but in, in places like Georgia, this problem is rampant. So um, we actually need more deer hunters down there to avoid paying or the state paying a sharpshooter to just kill deer. And that meat gets donated. But at the same time, the state has to pay to solve a problem versus having people pay to get the food, to feed their families. Like they, people just don't think about this. And, and, you know, and even it's, there's even a vegan uh, point here. That's kind of funny. The deer are eating the soybeans that makes a lot of the vegan food. And so like you kind of have a point here that there's a little bit of irony and that you need hunters to literally save these soybean fields because guess what deer like to eat. So there's literally sharpshooters that get paid in Georgia right now to come out and kill deer because they're so overpopulated. So this is where hunters become a really valuable part of this ecosystem uh, that that we as people have created. You know, again, we can't drop housing complexes in the middle of fields and just assume it has no impact on the environment. Right, right. Wow. I hadn't sharpshooters to kill the deer. This is all new information to me. Yeah, that's mind blowing. Okay, so this is this is okay. This has to do with the, everything, the hunting and the, and the censorship of the, maybe the photos of what you killed in your hunt and so on and so forth. I, I have my opinion, but what do you think it is about people seeing that photo? Someone that's not used to it. Yeah. Um, maybe not somebody that caused you any trouble over it or reported anything, but just somebody, cause a lot of people see that photo and you have the deer that you just killed. 
legally doing your thing the way you're supposed to do it. But people have a hard time with that. What do you think that is? Is it a society the way that we, and then you get to a, an African hunt is a whole other level. Cause if you see one of those animals and then people really, really lose their shit. So uh, what do you think <laughs> it is that people seeing that people that are eating meat, but they see that and they can't handle it or something. Yeah. There's, there's a, you wouldn't believe the number of times. I, I swear I don't make this stuff up. It sounds crazy. Like I, I already saying <laughs> it, like I, you wouldn't believe the number of times I've had people comment on the go wild Instagram account and say, you should just get your meat from a grocery store. Like everyone else. So something doesn't have to die. I have had that exact comp like people there's a, there's like that person just needs to step away from the phone. Step away. <laughs> know, right? There's a certain percentage of the population though, that like doesn't realize that a hamburger is a cow at some point. Um, and they, like we're so distanced from the reality of our food that, um, people think there, there's this warped perspective that people think that food is, um, more natural coming from a grocery store than what I do. You know, I shot a deer this year and I, I took it home and I, I had it in my garage and I processed the whole thing myself. And I think that's more honorable. I think it's as close to a human as I can get. Yeah. Um, but what happens is you have, you do have people that are living more and more in cities. Um, and we're, we're at a point, we're at a point in history where never before have so many Americans lived in cities. They're not exposed to things. They don't understand coyotes. That's why they freak out when they see them. Uh, and they think they have to tell everyone on next door that they saw a coyote. Guess what? No <laughs> one cares. And it's not going to bother you <laughs> just go about your day. Uh, but that, you know, these things are really sharp interruptions in, in, in their mindsets and the way these algorithms work. Um, the, if let's say if post starts trending and Brittany comments on it. Well, the algorithm, Brittany may have never commented on it before, but it tagged her husband in it. And she commented and said, congrats, babe. Well, if I'm friends with Brittany, the algorithm says, oh, Brittany likes this content. Maybe Susie will too. And so now Susie's seeing this. Well, the algorithm hasn't figured out that like Susie just joined and she's a like staunch vegan and will not, this is, this sets her off. Right. So like algorithms are imperfect. There's, there's, there are imperfections or at least like early phases of how they figure you out. So there are times when hunting photos collide hard with people that, that don't get it. And I think this comes back to a, this is actually a moral question that, that, that is lighting the hunting industry on fire right now is should we even be posting those photos? I decided three years ago, uh, almost four years ago now that I was not, which I, I mean, I guess this is mood at this point because I deleted my Facebook and Instagram, but I'm only on LinkedIn and go wild. I have a Twitter account to mostly just look at like UK basketball news and stuff like that at this point, but I don't use it a lot. But I, I have long felt that if you only post the story of the death and that trophy photo, you're pretty much only telling one part of the narrative. So when you get called a murderer, um, you know, I, I don't like that definition. I think it misunderstands what that was all about. You know, for me, I mentioned how hard this can be. Like, I am really proud when I get an animal, um, you know, uh, regardless of what it is, if it's a doe or a nice big buck or whatever it is, I'm proud of that. And hunters in our vacuum think like, I can't wait to show all my friends that my hard work paid off. And I, all this, like there, there is some bravado to it. Um, usually it depends, but like, usually there's a little bit of like, look at what I've been able to do. Cause you're happy. Like who who's it's like yeah. winning a basketball game. Like who's not happy when you do that. Right. Um, 
the problem is social media brings us together like never before. These photos used to live in coffee table albums or, or you know, maybe you carried around a photo at a trade show to show your buddy. This is truly what was going on 20 years ago. Right. And now we post it in these places where strangers are seeing what we've killed and they're colliding with things that they're not comfortable with. In, in the same way that like I see people celebrating companies like Beyond Meat and I'm like, really, this is gross to me. Like, you know, it's, it's, I didn't sign up to see this and learn about, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like the same type of collisions. Um, so I, I think it's part of what makes social media really interesting. Yeah. In theory, it could mean that we learn about different viewpoints and I've had discussions with vegans on social media. One of, one of my friends that I, I miss talking to her on Instagram, she was a vegan and actually through seeing some of my content, and how I told that story, she's like, wow, this is really cool. I didn't know like some of the stuff you've said. Right. Right. Um, but I also had decided to stop showing me holding dead stuff. I talked about the food. I talked about the adventure. I talked about the fun. I talked about the fact that I got to watch a, a red tail hawk swoop the Creek for squirrels for two hours today or whatever it was, you know, there's just, there's so much more to it than that, that one dead animal shot. That's usually less than 5% of the entire season. Right. It is. And you're right about, you're right about, well, everything you're saying, but like the, the whole, um, that's interesting. Sorry, I have so many things going through my head. That's interesting what you said about about how you aren't showing that, but that and it's also such a tiny percentage of the whole experience. It's so true. Well, which so is like, true. why do we why do we not talk about the rest of it though? Uh, I mean, I literally <laughs> right. just wrote a thirty five hundred article word article about this because the whole hunting industry is like absolutely ablaze with this conversation right now because. Um, Steven Ranella's brother, Matt Ranella, uh, has been, I'll, I'll get into who they are in a second, has been saying that we need to stop posting on social media. We need to unfollow hunting influencers. And, um, you know, Meat Eater is the largest blogger uh, or blogger, podcaster, media platform in, in hunting. They have their own Netflix show. They're massive. They're massive. They're touching probably more than 20 million people with their content. Yeah. And this conversation has set the industry on fire. And, and Matt's point is that we should just stop. And I don't believe that because there's a lot of problems within our space that we're not going to solve for if we aren't going to contribute as a voice. You know, no one gained share of voice by shutting up. So I think it's, it's a lazy solution to, it's easier to just say we shouldn't speak if we can't say something productive. I think we need to learn it how, how like think about how we're speaking and who we're speaking to, quite frankly. I mean, it, it opens up a whole other can of worms of like, is hunting too white? Yes. It's like, <laughs> is it too male? Yes. You know? Yeah. It, it, so there's a lot like to, that starts to get unpacked with that. And I just think it's a really easy solution to just say, ah, we don't seem to be very good at not posting dead animal photos. So we should just not post. Like that's, right. that's not, that's not the solution I want to see. Right. Right. Okay. So before I let you go, a couple of more things. So what, what do you think? I mean, Again, this may, I have my own opinions, but I want to hear what you think. What do you think fuels this whole censorship issue in general, whether it's about hunting or it's about politics or whatever somebody wants to talk about? I mean, do you feel like it's all politically fueled uh, financially or do you have, what, I'm just curious, what's your theory? I don't think it's all. No, I, I, it's not all. I mean, I can tell you it's not because um, I know a guy, I'm, I'm actually speaking with him at shot show next week uh it's the shooting hunting outdoor tactical show Seventy-five thousand people will be at this show not listening to me speak but uh the room won't be that big um but there'll be i don't know a couple hundred people come to this thing and chuck rossi was an early engineer at facebook 
he wrote the content policy on firearms because no one else even owned a gun, right? Like he was mm-hmm. the guy. Okay. And he's gone on to work. I think he worked at Google. Um, he he runs a firearm nonprofit now. Um, very influential guy in the firearms industry. He's known as the guy who can get you out of trouble when you do get these these bans that happen to firearm companies. But Chuck and I, Chuck's spoken at a, I had him speak at, a, or I asked him to speak. I don't tell Chuck what to do. Uh, I asked Chuck <laughs> to be a part of a, a, a program I put together in 2020 and um, I've heard him speak several times he's been on my podcast I don't know this guy well but like better than most colleagues right and Chuck makes some amazing points in that at the scale that these platforms operate now it is easier for them to just lump hunting fishing fishing gets lumped in there too people may say like what's wrong with fishing but dead fish content is getting deleted off Facebook it's happening um, uh, it's easier to put those in there with suicides, with, uh, public murders, with, um, child molestation, with all this stuff gets lumped into really inconvenient things. And some of it is CBD and it's sitting there next to content that was suicide. And it's what they do is unimaginable. If anyone wants to listen to how this stuff gets filtered, go listen to the Radio Lab episode about Facebook content curation. The people that have to do this stuff have serious PTSD from it. You, the worst canals of human thought are, are filtered by these poor people who get paid and who aren't even allowed to say where they work, who sign these horrible NDAs. Um, and, and, you know, this is all documented. I'm not just making this stuff up. This is documented by the wall street journal. It's documented by radio lab. It's documented all over the place. You can spend five minutes Googling and verify everything I'm saying. Chuck's strongest point is that a lot of this stuff is not, it's not like Facebook has this wage war against the gun industry. A lot of it is that Facebook already gets 200,000 content reviews wrong per day, like per day, you know? We're talking about volumes of content that would take our platform weeks, week, weeks upon weeks to, to come up with. They're, they're getting that much wrong every day. And so what do you do? Do you, you know, every, every time I look up their employee volume, there's another 10,000 people not counting their contractors. And so a lot of this is just a volume game. Um, that said, that, that said, the, again, I, I'm not like some crazy anti-vaxxer, but I do think if you just look at how some of the things that went down last year, people were deplatformed. Not, I'm not talking about Trump. There were other people that were deplatformed were. without a whole lot of thought and in, went into it. Yeah. Um, there were brands that jumped on the deplatforming of Trump, uh, of Trump. That like I'm like, wait, Trump was on Pinterest? What? Like you're you're like you know it's you just like everybody kind of jumped onto that, and and it was very clear that there is a point now where it's okay to deplatform and silence people without a whole lot of conversation around it. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not making some pro or anti-Trump statement. It's just that there was evidence that this happened. Yeah. It's happened recently. You know, the Dr. Malone, uh, the guy speaks out of not, I listened to the Rogan episode just cause I was curious. I hadn't listened to Rogan in forever and yeah. I listened to it and I was like, this guy's whole point isn't that the vaccines are necessarily bad, but that there should be more conversation around it. Right. He got kicked off Twitter. It's crazy. Like he did. I he didn't got, hear that. He got kicked off Twitter for advocating that there should be more public dialogue uh, around the vaccines. It, and, and, you know, so, and I mean, there's some things that he said that like, I can kind of see 
people getting fired up about, but the things he got deleted, deleted for were around encouraging dialogue. And I do think like, there's some of this stuff that's intentional. I don't, I mean, we're not, these aren't being treated like first amendment platforms. And again, it goes back to everything I said in the beginning of, I don't know where we should stand on that. I mean, my, I don't, my platform is not a first amendment platform either. I'll kick you off for certain things. You can read the rules and see what those things are. So I do get it. You have to have rules, but at the same time, a lot of the rules in social media are coming down to throttling things that we don't want you talking about. Like I said, you know, every time I've mentioned COVID-19 on my post, I've been throttled. I'm getting half, less than half of what I normally get on my reach. So, I mean, maybe all my COVID posts just sucked and nobody wanted to engage with them. I don't, there's that possibility, right? It's like, this, this it's only gets us possible. so far here. It's, but I doubt I, it. <laughs> I, I have one example. Um, uh, you use LinkedIn enough to know this will be interesting to you. I posted about Tim Kennedy, who's a really well-known Green Beret, um, used to be an MMA fighter. He's a celebrity. He's a big deal. And I had him on my podcast and I posted about it and it was the flattest, like I could not believe how few people this had reached after like two days. It was about 24 hours, I think. And normally LinkedIn's shelf life, like it's either going to be going viral for a week or, or or like I'll get engagement on it for a week or like after 24 hours, it's kind of done. Yeah. And it's like, there's a very obvious time decay that happens around that period and this post had gotten nothing and i was like what the heck like i had tim freaking kennedy like my audience of i have a lot of followers in the the military space that's where like my viral posts when they go off it's usually the military crowds gotten behind them and so i thought it was really weird and so i looked at my content i was like the only thing i can think of is this and i deleted hashtag usa with the emoji the american flag out of it just deleted out the content boom it got like 700 likes over the span of a week. Wow. And I don't remember what the reach was. I just looked it up the other day. I can't remember what the reach was, but it went from like sub 1000 views after 24 hours to I took out the hashtag and it was like immediate engagement on this thing. Wow. That's, that's, that's also one of my best reaching podcasts we've ever done on that show. It, oh. It's got like 80, 70 or 80,000 views on it. So, um, it's it's but it's it's like indicative of this stuff does happen right like somebody somebody decided that they don't want hashtag usa content being it doesn't mean that you can't get views on stuff and i think this stuff's hard to really even see if you're not operating a certain size of scale right um you know if you don't have a certain people are like i post deer on instagram all the time and i never get censors like dude you got 30 followers nobody sees it to report you right (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's how this stuff works it gets reported and then it goes in through either AI review or some person in a poor freaking warehouse that has 30 seconds to make a decision if it's against community guidelines or not. Right. Right. Jesus. Okay. So before I let you go, so anybody that's listening that want, that is very interested in this and cares, cares and wants to either take action or just be a part of a solution, um, of some sort and move in some sort of positive direction. I mean, do you have any advice, any words of wisdom, you know, for any of these people out here that are listening to this show, they're mostly entrepreneurs. They're, they're, they're a lot of them are on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> That's what most yeah. of them are on and, and using it um, in some cases like myself to help feed their family and run the business. So, yeah, no, I get it. So what do you, what do you say? I mean, what positive things can we do to help or if anything? Well, the number one thing everybody can do is educate yourselves. Um, pay pay for the Wall Street Journal subscription for the month. 
and go read the Facebook files, spend an hour. And like, everyone needs to be aware of what's happening. I, I usually, by this point would have already told you that, Hey, uh, Instagram knows that it's bad for 32% of teen girls and gives them body issues. It's, they know that 6% of teen suicides are attributed to Instagram and they don't think it's a big deal. Literally the head of Instagram, Adam Missouri said it's a, it's a, the numbers are quite small. It's like millions of teens, right? Um, they, they know that their services are being used to recruit drug cartel members. They know that they're inciting, uh, you know, religious extremists, like all of this stuff is documented. They know it, they sweep it under the rugs. And I think way too many users of these platforms are, are ignoring this or don't know. And I, I think you owe it to yourselves to understand how they're manipulating these storylines and also how they're manipulating you. This is the Wall Street Journal. I know the guy that was just talking about how like all this crazy stuff. Some people probably think I'm some right wing nut. I am not. Again, very central, uh, usually on, on most things. Um, I use these as examples because most people are familiar with them. Um, right. Go read in the Wall Street Journal about what's happening. You know, um, that you can find it's literally just Google the Facebook files, read all of those articles. I also highly recommend people reading Facebook, The Inside Story. It's by Stephen Levy as a journalist who um, documented really well what actually happened. Uh, well, from the entire time at face, like from build to last couple of years. Um, but it, it documents really well, the Trump Hillary, like what was allowed to happen there. Oh, wow. um, and it's super interesting. And I think like with the amount of time people spend on their phones and on these services, they owe it to themselves to really understand what's going on. Yeah. And also as a business owner, like you, you know, you, you should know where your money's going and your attention span and what it's contributing to yada, yada. Right. Um, my advice to anybody, and this is what I'll be speaking on next week on at shot show. Um, look, Facebook leads are awesome when they're, when they're awesome. When, 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 <laughs> when it's going, it's going great. Um, if you're one of these French companies like us, you know, we were making, uh, just out of the gate, $4 back for every dollar we spent on Facebook ads. And then we got blocked. I didn't even talk about, I didn't even finish my rounds of like all the platforms we've been blocked from. Um, you know, I've been blocked on YouTube for what we, we said, literally we said, uh, a pro fisherman told me he couldn't, they, the tournaments were canceled because of COVID. And because we said COVID, we weren't allowed to advertise because only the who and the CDC were allowed to talk about COVID. Um, so like, you should be ready because things like that happen. You might put all this resource, like I, we spent a ton of resources into this video this summer and we weren't allowed to advertise it. So I always advocate for small business owners to not to spread yourself too thin, but don't think that you're going to ride the same wave on, on anything like your previous 10 year competitors did. Now, you know, new channels are worth trying, you know, TikTok has its own share of problems. I've mentioned a couple of them. Uh, it's on its way to being the most addictive algorithm. And it also has been documented by the Wall Street Journal that it um, it does it does damage to it can convince teens that they have problems that they don't right that they, they're self diagnosing mental uh, problems that aren't there. But as a marketer, there are some of these platforms like a TikTok that comes along and you should pay attention to that. Uh, the, the, the next 20 years of social media will be very different than the last 20 years. And when you're founding something, you need to be looking at where the market is going, not where it's been. And so I hope that people realize like, yeah, Facebook ads might've been the way that 
I don't know, Airbnb might've built their business. And I, I can't remember if that's true or not. I read that book, but I can't remember exactly like the foundation of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but you know, it might not be the cheap lead for you, especially after iOS 14, the, and the, the data yeah. that they've lost, uh, you know, a lot of brands are seeing CPMs go through the roof. Facebook's own data says the half of the impressions they send you are garbage. Um, the audiences are not what they used to be. So you need to be looking ahead and, you know, I mean, again, Facebook's been around for almost 20 years. This isn't something, it's not what it used to be in right. a lot of different ways. Uh, I'm not saying Facebook's a waste of time, but I'm saying as a small business owner, you should diversify. Yeah. And final advice on that front is like, is just own your audience, you know, get emails, have people come to you, drive awareness of your brand and your story. Uh, one of the best brands I've seen do this, I weirdly got into One Wheel, which is uh, like an electric skateboard recently because I'm, I'm going through a midlife crisis, I guess. Um, and I bought one of <laughs> Not these Not a things. bad thing to do in a midlife crisis. It could be worse, right. Brad. It could have okay. been worse. Um, <laughs> my wife's convinced I'm going to kill myself. Uh, but they, they, they have this you know, funnel of content. Con content is still king. That's, that's basically the message here. Their website does a great job of positioning content. Their app does a great job of getting content to you. Um, they have a great uh, army of people who are brand advocates. They don't depend heavily on one channel. It seems like, like the, so that like think of your business in that way. Like try to try to get people into that email list and try to get them coming to your site for information. That's the best thing to own because with anything, and I don't care if you're selling freaking flowers or if you're selling firearms, it can be taken away tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. It's all very true. I, I think it's, I think that unfortunately a lot of people literally don't even know. They don't even know that like, oh yeah, I don't own my Instagram account. Like, it's not uh, really mine. <laughs> and, and Chuck will tell you all it takes is you make one insensitive joke and that gets reported X a number of times. I think it used to be 25 times. If something got reported by Instagram, it's going into a review <laughs> Um, and, and once it hits that review, there is a permanent flag that can be put on your account and your, your reach will just get decimated. I know uh, multiple people in the hunting industry who had hundreds of thousands of followers and were among the most viral content posters I've ever seen. And they just rolled the dice one too many times with content and it just, they can't get anything now they get, I mean, literally I could make a new Twitter account tomorrow and get more engagement than some of these guys are getting at this point with those same amount of followers but they're only reaching like half a percent or a percent of their, their, their following anymore. Right. It's not yours. That's the takeaway here is it's not yours. Go build it's your not, own following. It's not yours. You're right. Exactly. Use something else that you own your email list, uh, podcast, your own website, all your things. Okay. That's so cool, Brad. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you go. We could talk about this for hours. It's so fascinating to me. And I think you're so smart and, um, I just applaud you for doing, you know, doing what you know you need to be doing and doing what's right and spreading good information to people because not very many people are, are spreading uh, <laughs> good, true information these days, it seems. Please tell everybody, though, before we go, and we're going to have it in the show notes, of course, but tell everybody how they can find you, um, how they can connect with you on LinkedIn, uh, how they can find Go Wild, all the things. Yeah. So if you want to join Go Wild, it's downloadgowild.com. You can get $10 just for trying it. So you get $10 preloaded to your account by creating an account and, and giving us your name. Um, the, that's the best way to get started there. We are on, I think all the platforms as go wild app. If you want to follow the company, we're just go wild on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn. And if you join go out and check it out, you'll get an automated direct message from me, but that's really me that replies back. So like everybody gets that at the 24 hour point. 
Um, and, but if you get it, let me know you heard about it on this podcast. I'd love to say hi. Okay, cool. Thanks, Brad. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, educate us, and it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show, y'all. For more information about the podcast, go to socialsunshinepodcast.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to the Social Sunshine Podcast YouTube channel. For more information about me, go to brittanycrossin.com and connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, and Clubhouse. The Social Sunshine Podcast is a Fun Love Media production. Funlovemedia.com. Bye.